You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Gators Breakdown, episode 124, is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SCC. And joining me tonight is founder of ReadAndReaction.com, our partnership site for Gators Breakdown, and that is Will Miles. You can find Will on Twitter at WillMilesSCC. Well, I'm a, I'm a little happy. Uh, we had the cold front, you know, the, the bad cold front that come through most of the United States, uh, eastern United States last week. I am finally in shorts again. Uh, and I don't know if people are watching on our YouTube channel or not. If not, they'll get the podcast version. But uh, you're in a hoodie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you guys are wimps changing into shorts so it gets down to like 40 degrees, a couple of snowflakes. I, I, you know, I, I don't know what's wrong with you guys. That's shorts weather. A bunch of amateurs down there. But uh, oh. Oh, we had a good time. We had some ice come down here earlier in the week, so I uh, got to slip and slide home a little bit. And, uh, you know, it's good fun for all the kids. I'm not sure as I get older it's a little bit less fun, but, it, but it's definitely <laughs> good fun for the kids. All I know is it's fantastic that my team did not blow a 13-point lead in the national championship game. That, that's that's all I'm really focused on right now. That was, uh, that was the blessing earlier in the week. I was dealing with an ice storm, but at least I got to watch that when I got home. Man, it looked like everything was going good for Georgia, and they were finally going to get that trophy. And whoo, man! Uh, hey, look, I was kind of talking to, to some people, and look, there you go. That's the difference between the teacher and the apprentice uh, right now. The second half of that game, Saban goes and, and makes the change uh, at quarterback. Uh, I didn't think he would make it. He did. It paid off. Uh, Kirby went away from a game plan that included Sony Michelle, who was I think averaging like seven yards a carry. Uh, didn't keep it going. Uh, didn't use their best weapon, who proven to be a weapon against that Alabama defense. Uh, Georgia faltered down the stretch, and Alabama hits a big play at the end. Yeah, it's interesting. Nobody's really mentioning it now, but when the uh, when the long bomb, when Georgia hit the long bomb to go up twenty to seven, one of the things I, I posted on Twitter was that. I was surprised he didn't go for two points there. And I thought that, you know, I, I was like at the time, I'm like, I'm not sure this is going to matter, but I would have gone for two to get up two scores. And it turned out that that came back and bit them because they, you know, the game was tied, went to overtime at the end just because they couldn't put anything else together offensively. There really wasn't a downside to going to two there, I don't think. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it was a tale of two halves. Certainly, I think a bolster to the argument we've been making about stars mattering. I mean, you know, <laughs> to, to have the luxury of bringing a five-star quarterback off of the bench 
to lead you in the second half of the national championship game. And, and, and a little bit lesser story that no one's talking about, at least, is that they also brought in a five-star running back. Yeah. Who was a freshman who who also really gave him a jolt, and so you know, and, that, and, and the game winning pass to the to the five star wide receiver streaking down the sideline. There you line. go. And another what? Alex Leatherwood was left tackle. He was a five star too, I think. Right? If I go, if I remember uh, last year, if not, he was a highly ranked four star. But I think he was. So you know, they had a true freshman quarterback, a true freshman running back, a true freshman left tackle, and tri- true rabbi- and true freshman receivers. And the winning national championship. <laughs> yeah, you know, and and on a on a play that's just ridiculous. I mean, I it looked like one. It looked like the corner um, was playing cover two. It looked like the safety was playing quarters. When you looked at the all twenty two film that they were showing on the broadcast, the right hand side of the defense was playing quarters. So I think it was actually the corner's fault, not the safety. I don't think it was the safety's responsibility to get over there. But man, you can't give up a forty five yard pass on on second and twenty seven or whatever it was Absolutely in overtime. Not. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's the kind of thing that gets defensive coordinators fired and, uh, and certainly fired up our fan base because uh, I would say it was probably about 90-10 people who were rooting against the dogs from the Florida fan base. <laughs> Absolutely, and we'll, and, and we'll get into it with what we talk about tonight, but uh, you know that kind of transitions to uh, looking ahead to 2018, so we'll look ahead at some rankings that were released, but also, hey, get some Gator fans some excitement when you look at who they have coming in at quarterback, and you had two true freshman quarterback playing on the field Hey, that to me only gets Gator fans even more excited for Emory Jones. So uh, coming in, and I'm, look, I'm not saying he's going to come in and lead Florida to a national championship as a true freshman, but it gives you hope that you know the turnaround can be faster because we're seeing true freshmen on the field doing it. Yeah, I mean that's definitely true. I I think what you you do have to acknowledge the fact that uh, they're surrounded that, by a lot more. <laughs> well, right, that, that, that Rick that Rick for all of the things that were that were, uh, I guess, negatives about Mark Richt. Recruiting was not one of them. He did bring in, you know, I guess over the last 11 years, he's brought in recruiting ra- recruiting classes that rank seven and a half. So there's quite a bit of talent there in Athens. And Kirby has just ramped up the recruiting, but also, um, you know, really ramped up the quarterback position as well, continually bringing in those blue chip guys. Now, you know, I think you can say the same thing about Mullen, though, is that Mullen is clearly making some talent upgrades to Florida, and and it's going to show on the field. Whether it shows in, in 2018 or 2019, I think is still – is still yet to be seen, but based on the trajectory that Mullen's at, I think we can start to feel, I think we start to make some conclusions um, about what kind of recruiter he is. And to be honest, I think that was the big question about him coming in. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, Bill Sykes won't join us uh, tonight. Uh, he's uh, busy with a uh, real life job work. So uh, I believe he'll be back in Florida next week or the week after. So uh, looking forward to that. Uh, Bill will be back with his family and, uh, that'd be a good time had by all there, uh, but Bill uh, won't be joining us this week. Hopefully next week, uh, Bill's been doing a lot of research too on the recruiting front. So, you know, uh, Bill's the numbers guy and uh, the five-star nerd, and he'll be bringing some uh, nerd stats uh, pretty soon, Will, because uh, we'll be talking behind the scenes and Bill's feverishly uh, looks like he's uh, got the research tab going. Yeah, he he was he was giving us a little bit of inside info about what he's what he's coming up with. I'm just going to be able to sit there and sort of nod during the podcast <laughs> when he's going on. I'm not going to have to say much of anything; just nod and agree and be like, I, I defer to the expert on this one. But, no, it's going to be good. I'm really excited about you know the early signing period's been interesting, and in that, that we can make some conclusions about what's going on with each of the different programs, but also that it sort of gives you two points to either have a win or a loss, two points to real touchstones in terms of um, success and failure for the coaches and so um 
I, I think what you're going to find is there's going to be some guys who don't really like it very much because they maybe weren't the people who loved recruiting. And the guys who love recruiting, I think, are going to rise to the top in that sort of in, in this sort of system. Yeah, yeah that's a good, good point there. Uh, before we dive in here, remember you can find all your Gators Breakdown episodes on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, and YouTube. Search on those sites to get the links by following Gators Breakdown on Twitter and on Facebook at Gators Breakdown. When you're, hey, look, we, uh, we had some good reviews uh, submitted uh, recently on iTunes. Guys, thank you out there uh, so much for that. Uh, it really helps us, uh, lets people know what they're getting with Gators Breakdown. Uh, when they start uh, looking for some Gator podcast uh, out there. So, Will, we know the dead period ends on Thursday. Uh, and the contact period starts on Friday, and the floodgates open again in the world of college football recruiting. After a few, crazy few weeks, the dead period, um, you know, uh, you have uh, the dead period starts again on February 5th, and then we have signing day on Wednesday, February 7th. So it'll be a crazy few weeks, and then signing day, Wednesday, February 7th. Uh, this is the time of year. It's all about recruiting. Uh, and after the Gators had a really nice early signing day, we get to see um, uh, how a complete staff under Mullen, they're still looking for that 10th guy, but you know, near complete staff, uh, gets to recruit with the Florida logo on their chest. Uh, going into the contact period, Florida is ranked 17th in recruiting on the 24-7 composite with 14 commits and signees. Uh, Gamage decommitted today, uh, so you know, it gives at least Florida with 14 commits slash signees right now, and they're ranked 12th in average star rating, so uh, an improvement there. Uh, actually, with dropping Gamage, they jump, uh, had to redo the math. They jumped two spots uh, with average star ratings. So uh, they're also sixth-ranked team in the SEC in recruiting. Uh, if you want even more of a comparison to similar top teams, Clemson and USC only have 15 commits and signees, uh, so Florida you know, have one less than them. But Clemson is ranked ninth overall. USC is ranked 10th overall. And so obviously their average star rating is higher than Florida's. Uh, but those staffs are well entrenched uh, in their areas. Uh, we've gotten so much news and reports of new offers, or new offers being given. Current signees doing some recruiting of their own. And, of course, the all-important official visits that will be coming Florida's way. All this culminating with National Signing Day. So, Will, over at readreaction.com, your site there, over the weekend you released your most read article so far for the site and mapped out how Florida could actually achieve a top five class. Now the key word there was could uh, you did a nice job of, of not fluffing it up and, and you shared your thoughts uh, on a realistic finish for the Gators. And we must remember this is a transition class, but your first point was Dan Mullen as well on his way to a nice class, mostly due to signing blue chip prospects. Yeah, I mean, so first off, I really want to thank everybody for the support and for and for retweeting out the article and all that sort of stuff. It really does mean a lot to me that everybody's getting something out of it and and that they're that they're enjoying what I'm writing. It's great. Um, it's great to see, and I love the interaction. But yeah, if you look at Mullen, so what I did was I went back and I looked at coaches going all the way back to Zook, and you look at how many five stars, four stars, three stars, two stars, and, and what did their first class look like? And Zooks had a national ranking of tenth. Myers was twelfth. Muschamps was eleventh. 11th, McIlwain was 21st, and Mullen right now is sitting at 17th. That's a little bit misleading, though, because if you look at where he is in terms of the way 24-7 sports ranks their um, ranks their classes, he's got 226 points, which is pretty much on par with where McIlwain has ended up. He ended up at 227 in his first first year. So if, if, if Mullen doesn't get any more recruits, he's going to end up right around where McIlwain 
did after his first year. And I just don't think that's going to happen. I'm pretty yeah. sure Mullen's going to pull in two, three, four different people. So you start looking at that and say, okay, worst case scenario, if he pulls in two you know, two sort of top 100 players and isn't able to pull in Nicholas Petit Freer. Well, then he's probably looking at a class that ranks right around 15th. If he can pull in Petit Freer, um, if he can pull in a couple other players. So I guess in the, in the article, I had sort of realistic having Petit Freer, Jacob Copeland, Justin Watkins, Quay Walker, and William Barnes would be sort of the five additions to the to the class. Then you're looking at a class that's ranked ninth. And if you have a home run where you're just bringing all sorts of people where, you know, you, you, you get Tommy Bush, Xavier Peters, Elijah Griffin, um, and add those to the guys I mentioned earlier, now you're looking at a class that's just peeking into the top five. So it's it's almost impossible for them to get up there, especially because yeah. the recruiting is so top heavy this year. I mean, Georgia and, and, and Alabama and all those, all those schools are already up around 290 points. And even a monster finish for Florida is going to put them up in that 290 range based on the 247 rankings. So I don't think they're going to get to top five, but I think it's really realistic to say, Hey, they might get to nine. And if you get to nine, he's actually recruiting better than Meyer and better than Zook. And one of the interesting things is when you look at the second year of these guys, when they start recruiting, well, you know, now you can see a pattern where each of them jumped about 10 spots, but that, but that was a, that wasn't good enough for McIlwain. He jumped from mm. 21st to 12th. And you look at Zook, Meyer, and Muschamp, they're a, one, two, and three in terms of their rankings in the nation. So, um, you know, I think the fact that the fact that Mullen is already bringing in these blue chip guys is representative of the fact that next year he's also going to do the same thing, but with a full year to recruit, a full year to build relationships. It's it's a symbol that he's going to recruit at the level of Meyer. And so now the question you got to ask is how good of a coach is he? And and that's a different question altogether. But uh, but you don't have to worry about the recruiting anymore. At least I don't think. I think he's going to finish with at least two or three more blue chips, and that's going to make this look like one of those classes that Meyer or Zook brought in. Yeah, I think what, what we're going to get with Mullen, and I like your point there, is kind of where, where you ended this. I don't think we have to worry about Dan Mullen's recruiting. I think it's going to be the other teams that are recruiting as well. You know, what is Georgia doing? What is Alabama doing? Like when, under Meyer, you only really had to worry about Florida because it was so good and he was so you know used to being at the top. You didn't really worry about what other schools were doing, but I think you know times have changed where Florida's playing catch up a little bit. And I think early in in Mullen's tenure, even though he's recruiting good, you're still going to have to look at what those other teams are doing um, more so than you did with Meyer uh, until you know we get the, the the results on the field that we were seeing there. And I like which, where you went with the the whole second year because look, that's what made Meyer's tenure at Florida. It was Tebow. It was Harvin. It was Brandon Spikes. Those three guys were the bell cows of that class. Those three guys led that class, and it was year two, as you mentioned. So, yeah, year two, you can expect that jump. But you know, right now, I think Florida has to worry about Florida. And, you know, and, and finishing out this class, there's, there's names you mentioned. Uh, Florida's got the, the visits lined up. They got that uh, last weekend before signing day really lined up with a whole bunch of players uh, that are going to be there together, that are going to get the get the talk. Emory Jones will already be on campus. He'll already be going through some workouts and going through that. And, you know, and I talked about how Mullen found Tebow in his second year. Well, or Meyer found Tebow in his second year. Mullen's kind of already found that type of player, that type of quarterback in year one. And that boosted up, that, that boosted his year one class up where we were talking about, well, this could possibly be a top 10 class because he's already found that quarterback. He's already found the, 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 the position that weighs so heavily 
in in a recruiting class, and especially for Florida because of the lack of it. So uh, so many years uh, now going on since Tebow left. So uh, I think the, those points you brought up, and then transitioning from year one to year two, I think you know he gets this big finish and and has a good showing on the field in the fall. I really you know, going back to year two. I think that really really sparks year two into something else. Yeah, you know it's it's interesting when you talk about when you talk about focusing on Georgia. I I, I get that you, you got to take care of business at home. I mean, you yeah. got to keep the guys from Florida in Florida. You got to go up there and raid Georgia's cabinet a little bit and, and take advantage of the fact that Georgia is bringing in all sorts of elite talent. You know, the idea that I, I don't think there's any way that Justin Fields goes to Georgia if Mullen is on this staff. Huh? For a full year, I think if he's the head coach, he's coming to Florida because he doesn't. He's not going to want to sit behind Fromm. Uh, but even if you look at Georgia, they bring in Jacob Eason, who was the consensus top quarterback in the country, and now he's going to have to transfer out because they brought in Fromm year two. Same thing happened under Urban Meyer. They brought in Josh Portis in year one, and everybody was excited that they had a running quarterback who could be that dual threat guy. And then the next year, he brings in he brings in Tebow, and and you know. Portis had to transfer out and never really got a chance to play. So and the same thing maybe happens here where Emory Jones comes in. Now there's no Chris Leak who's established. And so Jones right. is going to get an opportunity to prove himself. But, you know, Eason played last year, was a little bit on was was a little bit up and down for Georgia. And Fromm comes in, takes the job, and goes with it. So I don't think Georgia is anywhere near as good as they were this year without Fromm. I, I think Eason is a good player. I think Fromm's a transcendent one. Um from the stamp, I mean, you know, he's doing things. I know Herb Street was going kind of nuts on the broadcast and got a little bit <laughs> annoying during the game, but at the, you know, talking about how he walks into the stadium differently and all sorts of stuff like that. But you know, Fromm's a good player, and he and he certainly there were very few times where he showed nerves on a really big stage. Went into Notre Dame, won a game there for you know, for his first start. Um, you know, those kinds of guys are special, and Florida's going to have to identify that guy. Um, but I think they have the capability to do that because if you look at just top 100 guys, um, you know, in, in the first class that they had, Zook had nine of them, Meyer had 15, Muschamp had 12, McElwain had four, and then Mullen has eight thus far. And you know, if he can have three, that was top 300, right? Not 100. Top 300. I'm sorry, top 300. But if but I divided it up in the article into one to 100, 101 yeah. to 200. 201 to 300. So yeah, it's it's top 300. Sorry about that. Um, and then if you go to the second year, well, now you've got 15 for for Zook, you got 18 for Meyer, 11 for, for Muschamp, and only 7 for McIlwain. So again, you can sort of see that the recruiting momentum for McIlwain was just less. Now, that doesn't mean Florida has no talent. It just means that the three guys who came before uh, who came before McIlwain were better recruiters than he was, and they had more talent to start with. So, you know, to expect Florida to be competing for national championships in year two, I think is probably aggressive. Um, you know, now if Emory Jones turns out to be special, then, you know, I, at that point he can cover up some warts. And I think we saw that with Oklahoma this year, that Oklahoma certainly had some warts, especially on the defensive side of the ball, but they had such a transcendent player on offense at quarterback that they were able to, you know, win a game against Oklahoma state, like 63 to 61 and, and yeah. things like that. And just ran out of luck when it came down to the game against Georgia. I mean, they make a field goal. Maybe the game's completely different. So um, you get that transcendent player at quarterback and it can cover up a lot of warts until then you got to out talent everybody. And that's what Saban's done. Yeah. And that's actually what's so scary about Tua being in there now is that, you know, if they've got, if they've got a, if they've got a transcendent player at quarterback along with that defense, it's not going to matter what anybody does because <laughs> <laughs> they've just got a lot of horses. And so I, you know, I've, I've, 
I've sort of come around on this because I know I heard Bill saying this, uh, or maybe he's tweeting this two or three weeks ago, that you just have to focus on Florida. And I think that's I think that's right, at least for year yeah. one and year two. Yeah. You, ha- you have to focus on Florida. You have to make Florida better. You got to focus on getting and becoming a top 25 team before you focus on being a top 10 team, before you focus on being a top five team. And uh, and Florida's going to have to do that. And that may mean that, that games against Georgia are, are going to be something where you're like, okay, we're going to go in and be an underdog. The nice part about Mullen is I think he's got the coaching ability to make that a competitive game, even if the talent level isn't isn't absolutely equivalent. Yeah, and going back to that, that top 300 uh, that you were saying, so Mullen already has eight compared to McElwain's four. Already doubled, and that's just an early signing period. <laughs> yeah, so you've got seven that have actually signed, right? right so, yeah. so there's there's one who's a hard verbal commit, um, but but hasn't necessarily signed yet. But he's going to pull in two or three more. I right. mean, that's that's pretty clear when you look at all the noise with all the official visits, all the momentum, all the different things that that just there are going to be people who are going to commit. I think you know they've got maybe four or five top two hundred receivers who they're looking at. I think they'll probably get one or two of those. I don't know that they'll get all of them. Um, but they are going to get one or two. And then the other thing you have to factor into this recruiting class, and, and people people took umbrage with my article in this respect, is that I wasn't including Grimes and Van Jefferson in the count. Oh, I was going to go there next. So. <laughs> and and those, guys, those guys are transferring in. I went back and I read some of the rules, and I think the rule is you do have to count them for this year, or at least you have to count one of them for this year's class to the 25, because they had 23 signees last year, and they would have had to count Malik Zaire as a transfer to that class, so they would have had 24. I think that's right. And so they've got one spot for last year that they can fit a transfer in um, for that 25 rule, assuming they have the scholarship available. And then uh, and, and then they'll have to count one for this year. So you do probably have to include that. But looking historically, I didn't really think it was fair to say, you know, because if Zook or Meyer or Muschamp brought in a transfer, I didn't have that information on hand and, and to include that in. And, yeah. and once you start getting back to 2002, the recruiting rankings get a little bit sketchy anyway. So... <laughs> Yeah, so, and, and it's also hard to compare where Florida would be where some of these other transfers land as well, like for other programs around the nation. So like Michigan getting Shea Patterson as well. And, you know, that's just one example. So other schools will also kind of be, you know, you would have to compare it to what's happening at their schools as well, because Florida is not the only school getting transfers and grad transfers and uh, the, the like as, as well. So I think, you know, we just, kind of do have to look at the high school recruits when we're looking at, but don't, don't, you know, make no bones about it. It is a big deal that you're getting Van Jefferson and Trayvon Grimes, and we still don't know if they're eligible or not. So that's another reason. I don't think you can count them in this. We still don't know if they're eligible. It looks good. Uh, I know there was a rumor out there earlier this week about them being uh, uh, that everything was passed and they're going to be a part of the team in 2018. That is not true. Uh, it was rumored up started. There's nothing out there right now that Van Jefferson and Trayvon Grimes uh, are are going to be part of this 2018 team. But you know that's uh, uh, but you know there was a lot of thought of how they would fit into the rankings. And it, you know even if we did want to throw them in, it's really hard to say. You know there is a history there in recruiting rankings that you get devalued as a recruit if you're a JUCO. And in a way, that's what kind of these guys are. You know many five stars that go JUCO route end up a four star were being re recruited. Uh, out of JUCO and four stars end up three stars. They just get devalued from when they leave high school to college and if they go another route. So I think you know, these guys would get devalued as well because they're not high school recruits, it's kind of just the way uh, it goes. I think that's mostly due to, you know, you're just not going to have them as long. So the value of those players drop. Now I do think they add value to this class and especially it being a transition class. 
And I still think it's a position of need because Tyree Cleveland is the only consistent playmaker that's a true wide receiver. So, you know, I, there, there is a whole lot of value in these two guys. They were highly recruited. Uh, one's from the state of Florida. He's proven himself at St. Thomas Aquinas in state championship games. And, uh, and Van Jefferson went to Ole Miss and made some plays. So there is a lot of value to those guys. It really is just hard to calculate uh, knowing that, you know, they're not high school recruits. Yeah. I mean, but what, what we're really doing is we're talking about depth. Yeah. So if Tyree Cleveland gets a high ankle sprain, your deep threat is not gone and you can still actually throw the ball deep, uh, which is which is what happened last year. Tyree, Tyree Cleveland got hurt. He was actually trying to play in a bunch of games, and it was yeah. very apparent that he just could not plant on that leg. No one had to – you know, the defense didn't have to respect the deep ball, and they didn't, and the safeties creeped up, and there was no space for, for Franks to throw the ball. And, and, you know, those are the sorts of things that you just can't have happen. You have to have someone who can come in when somebody else gets hurt because inevitably you're going to have people hurt throughout the year. Year. The other thing I think when you when you talk about Mullen that um, you know it's it's hard to characterize again in, in the types of numbers and really what, what I'm looking for is trends right I want to know is Mullen more like McElwain or is he more like Meyer and that's you that's really I think the question most people are asking from a recruiting standpoint now you can throw Zook and Muschamp in there because they recruited just as well as Meyer um, there were on field issues we'll probably get to that but. Um, but they recruited just as well as Mullen. So the question is, is it, is it like a Florida program thing where McIlwain was just an outlier? And I think that's what we're seeing. I think what we're seeing is that McIlwain was an outlier. And in fairness to him, I mean, he took over, he took over a, a class where the recruiting ranking was well over 100 when he took over. Yeah. Um, whereas he, I think, left Mullen with a, with a cupboard that was a little bit more full. Though the fact that all those guys have or the majority of those guys have committed to come play for Mullen indicates to me that perhaps there were just a lot of guys who wanted to play for Florida who grew up in the state and who wanted to play there. And that was sort of their favorite team. And that's where they were going regardless. I mean, you know, there were a lot of guys who didn't waver at all when McElwain got fired, which I'm not sure it's a real, uh, it's a real singing endorsement of him. But uh, the other thing I'd say about Mullen is it, it's a big deal that he's keeping the upperclassmen, at the school. So CC Jefferson, Martez Ivy. You read uh, my mind, Will. You keep reading my mind tonight. <laughs> so conceivably, he might also bring back Marcel Harris. I haven't heard anything about him. Um, certainly, yeah. he, may, he may not be 100% to start the year. I don't know what the status will be. But you, know, you bring back Harris, Jefferson, and Ivy, and all of a sudden, you've got a foundation. Your talent level has gone up just because you haven't had an exodus to the NFL. Um, Jefferson, I think, is is a pretty decent NFL prospect. Ivy was sort of fringe, sixth round, yeah. undrafted free agent. So it makes sense that he would come back. But again, you still have to convince him that that it's worthwhile for him to come back and learn and 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 put in another year to to increase his draft stock. And and Mullen was able to do that. So, you know, not well, only I, is I got a quick question about him before you sure. move on. I think it's beneficial that he comes back, and not only because of that, but you know, he was a what a like triple option really run heavy prospect coming out of high school. It was a really run heavy offense. I do have some interest, you know, with the way it shakes out. Does he get moved back to guard just because of that, or do they? But Dan Mullen likes to move his offensive line. He likes them to pull. So I mean, he can stay at tackle. I'm not saying he can't, but I do, you know, have I do wonder of where, uh, especially I, I would. I don't think he would have come back if he was probably going to get pushed to guard or anything. I'm sure he's talked to Dan Mullen, so I, I'm assuming he stays at tackle. Uh, but I wouldn't. It, I wouldn't be surprised if Mullen moves him around 
uh, in different positions because of the way he likes to pull. You know, if you're a tackle, you'll go all the way across the formation. And Ivy can move. You know, he's a, he can. We've seen him pull in McIlwain's offense, but you know, his experience coming into college was let's run the ball, let's run the ball. And I had my doubts that he could become this bookend left tackle because of that reason. You know, it was all about measurables, and I was kind of going based off of experience that he just didn't do it a lot in high school. And, you know, it kind of showed he wasn't the, the dominant left tackle, uh, a five-star, you know, should be. He's he's serviceable. He's okay. Uh, but he's not the, the left tackle uh, as a five-star. So could he be a five-star guard in a, in a run-heavy offense? Can he be a five-star tackle in a run-heavy offense like Dan Mullen likes to do? I think that's one reason he could come back, and, and we get to see that, and, and he gets to improve his draft stock just a little bit in a different style of offense. Yeah, you know, if he can be a dominant guard for his yeah. senior year, but then he has the ability to go out to tackle, um, again, just to give a, an NFL team some versatility, I think that's a valuable commodity to have. Someone with the athletic ability to be a tackle, but you bring him inside to be the guard. Um, I think that's probably where he's going to make the most money, mm -hmm. is if he comes in and has a dominant season as a guard, he will make more money than if he has a so-so season as a tackle. But then again, if he has a dominant season as a tackle, everybody just goes, "Oh, that was the coaching staff," yeah. and and of course we'll give him all the you know we'll back up the Brinks truck to bring in a dominant left tackle. Um, you know, part of it is there's a lot of tackles on the board for Florida from a recruiting perspective. I don't know whether you necessarily want a true freshman starting at left tackle in the first game of the year. At the same time, the first game of the year is what Charleston Southern, so you're not right. necessarily it's not Michigan, and so you can get away with that. You could also move Juwan Taylor from the right side over to the left side if you wanted to, and then start your true freshman over on the right hand side of the line. So, you know, I think it's going to be a meritocracy. Mullen has certainly said that com that compete is a huge part of what he's going to ask his players to do. And I don't think he's going to give anybody anything, but I do think that when you're sitting there as like a sixth ground, sixth round grade and you have the option of coming back to this guy, especially with Hevesy and his record, um, I think it makes sense that Ivy would come back. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm glad he did too. Um, it's just, I, I think it really fits for what, what Florida wants to do. Uh, and also don't forget, um, Florida got a transfer from Texas. He was a four-star recruit, uh, Gene DeLance, uh, who will also be fitting in at tackle. Uh, I saw him on Twitter the other day. He was doing some uh, self-workouts uh, by himself. You know, this time of year, it was over. It was over Christmas break, uh, so he'll 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 be able, I think, to be in the rotation as well. So you know, with different um, Ivy coming back, you know, you have. Uh, him was coming back. So he was a four-star recruit who went to Texas at first and just transferred to Florida, had to sit out last year. So, uh, but you're right. You know, Petit Friere, William Barnes, you know, that those are two hot names that are on the recruiting trail. Recruiting trail. Uh, and, Will, in, in, your, in your article as well, we're talking about where the class may end up and what we talked about. And, I mean, the names you put out there and the names we've heard on social media and all the visits coming up and the targets for, for Florida, I mean, it's a list of blue chips. It is a blue chipper, blue chipper guys. It is five stars and four stars. And you laid out, you no, know, look, we, this was this was a wish list necessary. You know, we know we're not Florida's not getting all these guys, but these are who they're in the running for. Patrick Sertain Jr., uh, probably LSU lean there. Petit Friere, very private recruitment. Uh, he doesn't leave a lot. Uh, he you know, leaves a lot to be desired. He doesn't talk. They got him to talk at Under Armour Week just because the media was around him. Uh, so he gave a little bit more. Uh, Elijah Griffin, cornerback there. William Barnes, many people think he's a Florida lean, maybe North Carolina there. Jacob Copeland, probably a Florida lean. Uh, if you ask some people, a lot of people think he'll end up at Florida, but watch out for Alabama, Tennessee there. Justin Ross, Quay Walker. 
oh man, I, I tell you what, they can't let him go to Georgia. <laughs> that's where a lot of people <laughs> think he's leaning. Uh, but that's another four-star four linebacker. Hey, Florida could use that uh, a four-star linebacker in, a, in an attacking style. Todd Grant from defense, he'd be a big-time recruit for this Florida team. Hey, another four-star, Justin Watkins, Florida leads for him. And there are some off-field issues, some great issues. They wonder if he can get in. Uh, but uh, it looked like Bama LSU maybe it fell off a little bit. I heard it was maybe because of the grades, but you know, that was just some talk. Don't know. Uh, but, yeah, he was at the Under Armour practices. Really, really good practices there. Uh, looks like, you know, Florida could easily get him in. I know uh, Luke Stampini uh, from our friends at GatorBait.net 24-7 Sports there put a crystal ball in for him to Florida. So things are looking good for him. Uh, defensive tackle, Colinus Miller, wide receiver, Tommy Bush, Xavier Peters, you mentioned, Andrew Chatfield started getting some talk uh, about being back uh, as a Gator lean maybe as well. Uh, Malcolm Lamar, I know, um, you know, we'll kind of see what happens there uh, with him. Uh, big Willie Taggart guy, so we'll kind of see if he follows him there. But those are five-star, four-star guys, and as we mentioned, you know, Florida's in the running for a lot of them. Yeah, and you've got four-star defensive end Dorian Gerald from junior college, a three-star defensive tackle Noah Jefferson as well. But if you look at that list, you you list it off. I mean, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven guys are top 65 nationally ranked. And that stock in the cupboard with elite, elite guys. I and miss it. Know, I miss it. <laughs> and you know, a bunch of them are four stars. But when you're, but Elijah Griffin is a four star, but he ranked thirty one that thirty first nationally. Yeah. So I mean, that guy has a much larger um, probability of being a star compared to a four star who's rated two hundred ninety seventh or something like that. And so you know, again, when you look back at the at the way I split things out in terms of one to a hundred, 101 to 200 and 200 to 300. I mean, that's really where you see the differences that Meyer, Zook, Muschamp, and now Mullen are bringing in those guys in that one to 100 range. And if he can pull in three or four of these guys in that top 65, I mean, geez, it's, it's, it's an enormous get for Florida. Now, you know, that still doesn't mean that they're at the talent level of their competitors, but I think it, yeah. I think it signals that they are a major player in in recruiting that they're going to be a force to be reckoned with. And if nothing else, there won't be any of these 50 to 14 games in the SEC championship game because they'll have the athletes to hang. And, and in some cases, I mean, you know, Florida's talent is not terrible. It's just not Georgia or Alabama. And so, you know, I, I think the combination of some of the coaching shortcomings and the strength and conditioning shortcomings and the graduation of many of, of Muschamp's players and the recruiting that had fallen off a little bit, I think, is why you see the four and seven season this year and sort of the lack of competitiveness, um, particularly on the offensive side of the ball. And then the defense sort of caught up this year. So um, I think Florida's got pretty decent talent level, but I think Mullen is is upgrading that considerably. And I'm, I'm excited to see where it goes. Yeah, Bill. Uh, well, we know we Bill and Bill's share it and he's kind of. The reason uh, I've, I fell in line with it, but you know, one reason you wrote the article and one reason we, we talk about it. Stars matter, and, and it really does. And coaching matters too. Don't get me wrong, uh, but I, I, you know, I kind of look at it as just because you have the stars, it doesn't mean you'll win. But you can't win without them. 
Yeah, I mean, stars are a foundation for what you're trying to do for a program. And so, yes, there are teams like Clemson that are not perennial top 10 programs that do win national championships, but and, and teams like Oklahoma, who also are not perennial top five programs from a national recruiting perspective, but they have transcendent quarterbacks when they're getting into the playoffs. I mean, Baker Mayfield, um, whether he turns into a fantastic NFL quarterback or not, is a transcendent player at quarterback. He's putting up QB ratings of 200 the last two years, which is, I mean, you look, you look at, you look at that and say, okay, Tebow was fantastic, and he put up QB ratings like 175. Um, and, and then you and then you look at Clemson with Deshaun Watson. I mean, they don't beat Alabama last year without Deshaun Watson at quarterback, mm-hmm. um, and they don't win some of the games that were close during that season and the season before as well when they got to the title game without Watson at quarterback. So really, if you're not going to recruit top three, top four, top five, you're going to have to hit on that transcendent quarterback. Otherwise, you end up like Clemson was before they had Deshaun Watson, which was a very good team with someone like Taj Boyd at quarterback. You go 10-2, and 11-1 every once in a while, but you can't compete with those big boys. I think that's what you're going to see. But the nice part is, is Florida is in the hottest recruiting area in the country. <laughs> it also seems like they're competing maybe against staffs that uh, at least are not complete at this point. Um but but certainly are struggling in terms of their ability to, you know, up in Tallahassee, they're struggling to bring in official visits. I think they've only got five coming up over the next few weeks before National Signing Day. Um, Taggart doesn't necessarily have his staff all together. So this is really prime time for Mullen to take advantage of that and put his, you know, Put it, get it, sink his claws into not only the 2018 class, but the 2019, 2019 class as well. Yeah, I'm excited to see it. Uh, it's uh, it, it is a different feeling. Uh, we'll get no, we'll know more by the weekend. Uh, Friday, like I said, Friday uh, they can start contacting face to face again with his recruits. They've been able to talk to him through social media and text messages and stuff. But uh, we finally get to see some face to face or hear about some face to face. Official visits will start soon as well for Florida. Uh, so it's going to be an, an exciting time. It's going to move at a breakneck pace, uh, I believe. Uh, we'll see how the early signing day changes this too when it's all said and done. You know, uh, this is a, a new, a new realm, uh, a new way of recruiting after the uh, the early signing day. So I, I'm excited to see it. Uh, we know the big, big, big names are on on the on the tar- on the board uh, for Dan Mullen, and we'll see uh, how he finishes. So. Uh, well, what was the the big takeaway that you just wanted everybody to get from you know looking at the targets that Florida's going after and this being a big first-year transition class. I think the takeaway is Mullen is more like the previous Florida coaches, not McElwain. That that his profile after the early signing day period indicates that that recruiting is not going to be an issue for him. And I think we sort of saw that the first day he went out and went after Justin Fields and said, to hell with what my other recruits think. I'm going to go after the guys <laughs> who are best for my system, and, and I'm going to go after who I need to go after when I need to go after them. And I'm not going to worry about what other people think. And if they want to jump on board, that's great. And if they don't want to be on board, that's great too. And I'll, I'll manage that the way I want to manage it. And, and, and that's paying off. The aggressiveness is paying off. Clearly, he's got coaches who are going out there and pushing for um, – pushing for commitments. He's got coaches who are going out there and recruiting. He's got his recruits out there recruiting. Um, you know, the the information we heard about Quay Walker was that Emory Jones was in his ear. Yeah. So, you know, not only are they encouraging their coaches to go out there, but they're encouraging their players, especially during these dead periods. And man, I, I really wouldn't want to be one of these big time recruits because the coaches can focus on them right now because half, <laughs> the, half the classes are already signed. So it's going to be a... Uh, it's 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 gonna be a, a full court press on some of these guys coming up the next few weeks. Yeah, I saw us talk about you know how different it's going to be, and you're right. These guys who haven't signed yet, and you know now 
uh, head coaches and, and recruiting staffs can really pinpoint guys. Uh, phones are going to be blowing up. <laughs> and, uh, they, I hope these recruits have their phones charged because uh, the, the coaches are going to be calling them left and right. Well, even on Twitter, I mean, you know, there are yeah. portions of the fan base that will tweet at recruits, got some oh. some really awful things. But, <laughs> but, but you know, that's only going to ramp up, too, for some yeah. of these guys because, uh, you know, they're uh, – again, there's there's guys who are already on board and they've signed their national letter of intent, so there's no risk they're going to flip. And so you don't have to pay the kind of attention you would have had to pay them in the past. And I think that's going to – I, th- I think now that the early signing period was a win for Mullen, he's going to be able to focus much harder than he would have been able to before because he would have had to continue to talk to Emory Jones. He would have had to continue to talk to Trey Dean. And, and that doesn't mean he's not talking to them, but he would have had to continue to worry about them as recruits who could conceivably flip. He doesn't have to worry about that right, right now. They've signed their letter of intent, and so now he can focus on somebody like Petit Freire and say, we're going to put the full court press on this guy because we've already got these guys in the fold. And in fact, he can probably even involve the players who've already signed the national letters of intent in the recruiting of those guys. And so it's sort of a concerted effort by everybody who's now on the same team. Absolutely. Uh, it's going to be a fun time to watch. Well, we were kind of, you know, discussing over the weekend, what we were going to have talking about uh, this episode of a national championship game was of course Monday night. And, you know, we kind of briefly discussed uh, our thoughts on that, but you know, the one thing about the national championship game is of course the next day, you can always look forward to the way too early top 25 predictions <laughs> and projections. Uh, so of course every major website had one. Uh, and I was really interested in seeing what they would think about Florida being led now by Dan Mullen. Uh, as soon as the national championship game was done, I, I knew we would get them, and it was something I was really looking forward to. So we knew uh, ESPN was going to be the most the most popular, um, uh, and it was led by the usual suspects. Of course, Alabama one, Clemson two, Ohio State three, Oklahoma four. They had Georgia at five, uh, and so uh, some other programs of interest. They had Miami at seven, Auburn at twelve, Mississippi State at nineteen, Florida State twenty two, LSU twenty three and South Carolina 25th. So that means the Gators are not ranked in ESPN's way too early top 25 poll. Um, it's not a total surprise after a four and seven season and a coaching change uh, you know, like me. And, and, and this is Mark Slayball writing for ESPN. He might be taking a more wait and see approach, but I found it interesting that they're putting belief in the team Dan Mullen built at Mississippi state and they have a new coach, but in a way not giving Mullen credit for as good as the coach as he is and then not ranking Florida because of that. Uh, you know, uh, Out of seven polls that I found, Florida was only ranked in one of them, and that's out of ESPN, Athlon, Sporting News, USA Today, Yahoo, CBS Sports, and Sports Illustrated. Seven of them, and Florida was only ranked in one of them. Then I'll get to the details there. A little bit, but Will, you you got straight to the point in the headline of the article you released today uh, on this, entitled it uh, "Way Too Early Top Twenty Five That Doesn't Include Florida Is Short Sighted." Yeah, so I mean, I, I don't know what else they want Mullen to do. I mean, I so I went back and I looked and I, and I said, okay, for for the last four years. What have what have those teams' recruiting profiles looked like, and how have they ranked in the ESPN Football Power Index, so the FPI? And really, what you find is that that correlates. That teams that are in the top twenty-five 
10, you know, let's say you're ranked 22nd for four straight, you know, that's your average over four years. Well, then your average recruiting ranking is typically around 22nd for those four years as well. And, you know, what happens is, is if you're not, if there's a, if you're, you know, if you're recruiting is at 20 and you're constantly coming in ranked at 40, that means two things. One, you're about to get fired. And two, it means that you're not a very good on-field coach. And you see that when you look at somebody like Butch Jones. So Butch Jones at Tennessee, you know, he, he ranked 13.4 nationally in recruiting, but 43rd in the ESPN football power index. And even before this year, he was at 12 and a half in recruiting and 29. So that's a 16 and a half unit difference. And that's just indicative over and over and over again. If you look back at, at coaches, um, so Al Golden's a great example as well. If you look at Al Golden, he really struggled um, at Miami. And, and so that's just, you know, those are the types of things that you see with coaches who get fired is there's that separation. And with Mullen, there is no separation. I mean, his he had 26.8 was his average national recruiting ranking at Mississippi State, and 30.6 was his FPI. So it's about a 3.8 unit difference that he was a little bit worse on the FPI than he was in the national recruiting ranking. But that's not unusual. Urban Meyer, when he was at Florida from 2005 to 2010, was a 2.8 unit difference. So 4.7 to 7.5. But if you look at Zook, Muschamp, and McIlwain, they were all up around a 19 unit difference between the three of them. And so what that indicates is that those guys were not good on-field coaches. They weren't getting the most out of the talent they were bringing in from their recruiting classes. Now, you can argue that Muschamp brought in skewed recruiting classes that they were, they were you know, Defense-heavy. tilted towards the defensive <laughs> side. But offense is a part of the game. So, he, I mean, you know, maybe his recruiting wasn't tailored, and that's what caused the problem. Though I don't know that you would necessarily make the argument at South Carolina that, that, that his recruiting classes have been that skewed, and his offenses have still been terrible. So, mm -hmm. you know, I, I think there's something to be said about a track record for a coach who, you know, just is not getting what he should out of his recruits. And the problem with McIlwain is not only was he not getting what he should have out of the recruits, but he also wasn't recruiting as well as some of those other guys. So in a situation where Zook was going nine and three, McIlwain has a year where he's four and seven and everything falls apart just because of that, of that, uh, of that difference. But again, if you look at Mullen, he doesn't have that separation. So, so between Mississippi State's recruiting ranking and their FPI, it basically matches. And so I anticipate the same thing is going to be true at Florida. Now, maybe there's some transition here mm -hmm. where, you know, the players that Mullen is inheriting don't necessarily fit his system. Some guys transfer out because they don't want to deal with the strength and conditioning upgrade that's going on. Uh, you know, there are people who are maybe McIlwain's favorites who are going to fall out of favor with Mullen and, and are going to get pushed out, those sorts of things. So maybe that first year there's a little bit of a struggle. But the reality is no matter what you say about McIlwain's recruiting, it was still top 15 over the three years that he was there. Mm -hmm. And so if Mullen brings in a class that's ranked 9th, 10th, 11th, you're looking at a, at a team with top 13, top 14 talent. And he's proven that he will get results over an extended period of time, nine years at Mississippi State. He's proven that he'll get the res he'll, he will he will get results in the FPI that match what the recruiting ranking is. And and so the same thing applies to AP polls. I've done this with AP polls in the past. It's kind of hard when you're looking at multiple teams because teams fall in and out, which is why I decided to use the FPI. But uh, but it's a trend and you can see it. If you, if you look at 2017, you can actually see teams that made coaching changes and why they did. So Georgia is actually one of them. So Georgia from 14 to 17 had a 5.8 average recruiting ranking, but a 17 average in terms of the FPI. And that is Rick. 
right? That mm-hmm. That is Mark Richt. I mean, then that's why they made the coaching change. If you look at a team like Notre Dame, they actually – so Kelly saved his job this year, but still he's at 32.8 or I'm sorry, not 32. He's at 12.3 for recruiting and 20.8 for um, – for their FPI. So, and he sort of alternated between a bad year, good year, bad year, good year. And so he just had a good year this year. I, if I had to put money on somebody not making it through next year, it'd be Brian Kelly at Notre Dame. Cause I think he's primed to have another one of those bad years. And when he does, they're going to, they're going to look to make a change. So you can really use this to predict who's going to, you know, is a coaching change needed and, and, uh, and see the results of those coaching changes. It's the same reason that Malzahn is on a hot seat at Auburn mm-hmm. is that he sort of had those alternating years where Auburn's good one year and bad the next. Now, part of that is they're in a division with a juggernaut, but, mm-hmm. but, you know, at the same time, the expectation at Auburn, when you're bringing in top 10 classes, is you're going to have a top 10 team and they haven't had that every year with Malzahn. And so that's why people have been getting impatient with him. Yeah, it is. It's just weird. Uh, you know, and it's hard to tell as well with these rankings how they think that if, if this is about how they think the season will play out, or if this is how the season, you know, given what we know, this is how the teams are ranked to start a season. You know, it is basically is this the way we think the season starts, or this is how it will end? You know, and that's kind of we don't really know what they're thinking when they make these polls. Uh, and for these way too early. So yeah, I have, I have the feeling with Florida not ranked that this is how, you know, it is a wait and see approach and this is how the season may should start. And maybe Florida doesn't start the season ranked. And you look at Florida's schedule and it's very manageable. And I think, you know, we've talked, we've talked about it before and we can, you know, and we'll bring it up a, a little bit. You know, you know, I think if you look at Florida's schedule, they're at least good for seven wins, eight realistic, you know, a few breaks here and there, nine or 10 wins, uh, just because the schedule sets up easy. And you look, you have 17 returning starters. You mentioned uh, what Dan Mullen will have on this roster just talent-wise, but he's also with Jefferson coming back and Ivy coming back. You have 17, and but that's counting the quarterback as well, you know, for ranks or whatever. And that's, that's you know, we'll, we'll wait and see what happens there. Uh, but that does count in how many starters you're bringing back at positions. And, you know, Thomas Goldcamp brought that up. Uh, and this is, guys who basically started a majority of the season. Uh, so that's how he, he kind of calculated that. Uh, so it would be 17 of a possible 22 uh, on offense and defense that Florida will have coming back. So you take the schedule, you take 17 returning starters, you take what you said in recruiting top 15 talent, and this really is just about the transition itself. And I, I really look at the respect they gave Mississippi State in these seven polls but not giving it to Dan Mullen at the same time at Florida. It's, you know, if you believed in him enough to rank Mississippi state and the talent that he left there, don't you think that would bleed over just a little bit and how they felt with him about Florida? So if you look at it, as I mentioned, ESPN, Florida was not ranked. Mississippi state was ranked 19th. Athlon was the only one that had Florida ranked and they have Florida ranked at 25th. So that was as far as they went. Athlon had Florida 25th, Mississippi state 20th. Sporting news, uh, neither neither one of those teams were ranked. USA Today, uh, Mississippi State was ranked 25th. Yahoo, Mississippi State was ranked 16th. CBS Sports, neither one of them were ranked. Sports Illustrated, neither one of them were ranked. So as I mentioned, ES, uh, Athlon was the only one that had Florida ranked. ESPN, Mississippi State 19. Athlon had Mississippi State 20th. USA Today had Mississippi State 25th and Yahoo 16th. So this is a team that he left. It's the roster that he built. And right now, 
they're giving these these polls are giving that team a better reputation than what they're giving Florida by what Dan Mullen did. Yeah, I think there's a couple of reasons for that. One is I can understand why no one would trust Florida after the last <laughs> nine years. You know, hey, we found a quarterback. It's like, yeah, you've been saying that for for the last decade. And so I can understand why someone wouldn't necessarily trust that going in. You know, it's that old thing. I remember Florida State was back for years and years and years, and no one really believed it until all of a sudden Jameis Winston came in and Florida State was just mowing over everybody. Um, and it's like, oh, now they're back. Now we trust it. And for years, people were predicting, oh, they'll be back this year, and then they would disappoint. Oh, they'll be back this year, and then they disappoint. I think there's a little bit of that going on with Florida. Uh, the other thing is, and I mentioned this in the article, that when Mullen was hired, I was a little, I was pretty underwhelmed. And it wasn't because I didn't think he was a good coach. It was because I didn't necessarily think he was a great coach. But the more I've the more I've looked into his numbers, the more I've looked into the metrics, I keep looking for holes and I'm not finding them. What I'm finding is, is that the things people point out can be, can be rationalized away by the fact that he was in Mississippi state and that he was in the sec West and the things that are sort of underlying that. So, it, you know, it's, it's like a hitter who's hitting 250 in baseball, but he's hitting the ball hard. And you can tell that by looking at the underlying stats about how how hard the ball is coming off of his bat or that he doesn't have a high batting average on balls in play. And that's something that eventually regresses to the mean. Um, you know, that sort of thing, you don't pull that guy. You don't say, oh, he's losing it. You just say it's eventually going to come back to where to where it would be in the average. The underlying numbers for Mullen just look fantastic. And I'm not sure that anybody at a national level – has taken the time or has the ability to go and look at those underlying numbers and say, Hey, this is, you know, this is why Mullen's going to be successful. I think what they do is they go, Oh, he was a decent coach in the sec West. And now he's moving over to the sec East. He's not going to win the East because Kirby's over there. And, and so do we think he's going to be that much better? No, we think they'll probably go seven and five. I think that's probably where people are sort of, you know, Hey, Mullen will make them better. Florida will bounce back anyway. Cause they're not really as bad as the four and seven season. And so, Hey, we think they'll go seven and five. I think that's probably what people are thinking. I understand why they're thinking it. I just think they're wrong. I think that Mullen is a significant upgrade. Every time I look at something that he's done, it's like, okay, recruiting, he's not real good at it. Oh, he was way better than Kroom when he was at Mississippi State. Okay, recruiting, it might be an issue. Oh, he's bringing in blue chips <laughs> like we haven't seen since Urban Meyer left. You know, oh, he, you know, is he really that great of an on-field coach? Oh, all of his recruits, you know, all of his recruiting rankings and his FPI rankings match. I just, I look at it and say all the signs point towards positive. I was wrong. I, you know, my initial reaction just, I don't think, is based in reality. And I'm not sure that other people have had the opportunity to catch up on that because they're not Florida specific like we are. And we keep breaking it down and looking at looking at Mullen specifically, looking at those underlying things and and uh, and are seeing stuff that maybe people on the national level aren't seeing. Yeah, and and if people listen to us long enough, we have no problem being critical. <laughs> and like you said, you're looking for wrinkles and stuff that may signal that, you know, this may not be the 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 top tier hire that uh is you know that it's looking like a good hire right now and you know we're looking for reasons why it may not be or or reasons why it may not work out and not necessarily and that's not to say we don't want it to it's just we look for things you know we try to look at both sides of the story and we 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 give the credit that he did great things at mississippi state when the deck was stacked against him and yes there's the 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 ranked team uh, what two and fifteen or something like that versus ranked teams. Well, you know what? It's a it, it's a feat in of itself to have seventeen games where Mississippi State's ranked to begin with. 
<laughs> so, I mean, you, you're looking at it that way, and just like he's done things at Mississippi State that has never been done before. So, you know, I get it, and 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 I, I get why people want to want to look for things and stuff that may not work out. But hey, look, if people are out there looking, all they got to do is go back to our past Gator breakdown episodes around Muller was hired, and they'll get all the numbers and and factoids that we that we threw out there that. That, that, that share that we really think this is a good hire and, and we're behind it. So, you know, as far as these top 25 rankings go, I get it. I get why Florida's not ranked. As of right now, I'm a wait-and-see approach as well. When the season starts, I wouldn't have Florida ranked either. But at the end of the year, I would guarantee you Florida would be ranked. Yeah, well, and, and I mean, we're uh... – I'm obviously a, a, a homer when it comes to this, so so I mean I'm biased just like anybody else. But but you know I I just look at objectively and say okay. The other thing is that you look at these 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 top twenty five polls. The ones I looked at had maybe four or five teams that churned in and out. You know they said oh Texas had a really mm-hmm. good recruiting class. We see they're gonna they're gonna pop in here. Um, and usually there's more turnover than that, especially on the bottom side. So teams like Western Michigan and and even UCF, but Utah and San Diego State and um, Tennessee mm-hmm. last year dropped out. Louisville, like teams like that. Mississippi State going mm-hmm. in and out of the pools. Yeah, so you know there's a lot of turnover in that 17 to 25 range, which does two things. One is it makes it really hard to predict who those teams are going to be. <laughs> but two, I think it means, you know, like, like they, like Schleybaugh had Notre Dame in his, I think Notre Dame's going to fall out of the top 25. And I, I think uh, they may be in some trouble. LSU is also in his top 25. I think that may be one who may fall out, particularly with Canada leaving and Orgeron being there to run the offense himself. I mean, we saw what happened against Troy when he tied Canada's hands behind his back. I'm really curious to see what happens there. Um, you know, so is Texas going to take that next step? Maybe, but they're a really young team. South Carolina, you also had the top 25. I don't see that one either, especially right. with letting go of Kurt Roper and sort of Muschamp's record. But again, we've seen that up close and I'm biased that way too, <laughs> in a way that's hey, probably there's a lot, negative. There's a, there's a lot of hype with Jim Harbaugh dropping the ball there and letting South Carolina win that game. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, and, you know, at, at the end of the day, um, it, I'm not sure it matters whether Florida's in the top 25 at the end of next right. year. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know that they're going to – I mean, I don't think they're going to win the SEC. I don't think they're going to win the national championship. And in that case, what we're really looking for is progress. I and mean, we're looking for 27 points a game and a quarterback who could throw a 10-yard out. I mean, and that to me is why I'm why I'm encouraged is because the futility, particularly on the offensive side of the ball, was so significant that, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, where – you know, if if you're overweight, all you got to do is get off the couch and walk. It's not like you got to run a marathon. Whereas if you're trying to compete with a marathon runner, well, okay, good luck. It's going to take you a little while. I mean, we were basically sitting on the couch on the offensive <laughs> side of the ball for the last three years. And all they're going to have to do is get up and walk around the neighborhood to be better and be significantly better. So, um, you know, I, I guess really, yeah, I'm a homer. I understand that. But at the same time, I, I just look at it and say, I don't see any way that with top 15 athletes that Mullen's offense isn't way better than what we've seen the last three years. And with a competent offense, the team's going to go eight and four, nine and three, I think is where you're sort of looking at. Yeah, that's what you got. You know, seven and five with a bowl win probably gets you ranked. Eight and four regular season, you're definitely ranked. Nine and three, anything better than that, of course you're ranked. So, I, I, the chances of, of Florida being ranked under Dan Mullen in year one, I, I kind of agree. I, I think uh, by the end of the year, uh, we're looking at a team uh, that would be a top 25 team 
Um, one more thing, kind of just to preview the season, the 2018 season, right after the 2017 season, Brett McMurphy uh, put out the college football playoff title odds on Las Vegas Superbook. Of course, Bama leads the way, five to two odds. Clemson six to one, Georgia eight to one, with Ohio State eight to one as well. So if you kind of ranking, maybe rank third uh, there. Michigan, here we go, ten to one. <laughs> so I don't know, I don't know what it is, uh, but I, I think Vegas knows Michigan fans will will be betting. So I think that plays a, a lot of it. Uh, I think because that's what people have to remember. This is not necessarily telling you, in a way, it's telling you how good a team is, but it's also letting you know what they think the public will vote. Or, oh, certainly. Uh, or how they'll bet with, with money. So if I go all the way down, uh, in teams of interest to have Auburn, Miami uh, uh, at 25 to 1, LSU at 30 to 1, Notre Dame, FSU 40 to 1, Texas A&M 50 to 1 with brand new head coach Jim F- Jimbo Fisher, and Florida all the way at 60 to 1 odds for the, to uh, win the college football playoff championship. You know, it's, it's funny that you mentioned Michigan, and I did bring them up in my article today. Um, you know, when you look at Harbaugh at Stanford, again, going back to the metric that I sort of put together, the national recruiting ranking versus the ESPN FPI, at, at Stanford, he had 30, his national recruiting ranking was 36. His FPI was 33.8. At Michigan, his national recruiting ranking is 16.7, and his average FPI is 14. So Harbaugh is actually proving to convert the talent that he has on the field. Now, the problem he ran into this year is in 2015, he had the 37th ranked national recruiting class, and that was his transition year coming in. He had some pretty high-level talent, but there wasn't any depth behind it. And I think that's what you saw towards the end of the year with Michigan is they just didn't have have any depth once Wilton Spate went down. Um, You know, John O'Corn wasn't the answer, and, and they didn't have the athletes to really overcome that. I'm actually pretty high on Michigan this year because he's going to bring in another top probably five recruiting class. And now you're going to be looking at those high-level athletes with the depth and with Harbaugh's coaching ability. Is he going to be at Ohio State? Probably not. Ohio State has horses in a way that Michigan just doesn't right now. But I think it's premature to throw dirt on Harbaugh's grave at this point. I, I think Harbaugh's a pretty good coach. I think the metrics play that out. And so 10 to 1, eh, that might be one I'd bet. I'd bet that before I'd bet Florida win the national championship at 60 to 1. I mean, I, I just and, hey, and they may have Shea Patterson at quarterback. Well, and, and you know, we already talked about it. if you've got an elite quarterback, then it, then it makes a difference. So, um, you know, that to me is the focus in 2018 for Florida is, is Emory Jones that guy? Is Kadarius Tony that guy? Will he get the chance to prove that he's that <laughs> guy? And that, I think, comes back to Van Jefferson and, and Trevon Grimes. And if those guys are on the outside, then perhaps you have the opportunity to bring Tony back in and, and give him that shot. So, uh, you know, that's what 2018 is going to be about to me is figuring out, do you have that guy? And if you don't have that guy, then go in to get him to bring him in for 2019. Yeah. Well, quickly before we end this episode, uh, a little bit of surprise. Uh, it would been Tuesday, uh, looking around on Twitter. And I noticed, um, Juwan Sider's Twitter bio that he's the tight ends coach at Florida. Uh, and Greg Knox will be the running backs coach uh, for Mississippi State. And that surprised a lot of people because, of, you know, we thought Jawan Sider may be the running backs coach. That's what he was under Jim McElwain. Um, you know, a lot of people don't like it because they thought Jawan Sider was a really, really good running backs coach, and he is. Uh, but, you know, I, I kind of caution to the the, the worry there. Um, Knox knows Mullen's offense. He knows the terminology. He knows how Dan Mullen wants it. He knows the language of the offense. 
it's just less communication, less confusion uh, that's going to take place when you have Knox at running back. Juwan Sider does have experience coaching tight ends at West Virginia to his last two years there while he was coaching running backs as well. Um, now, you know, West Virginia doesn't use the tight ends a lot <laughs> in that air raid offense. They don't ask them to run block a lot, and I think that would be part of uh, what they can do or what they need to do at a Dan Mullen offense uh, at, at Florida. But I'm, I'm not as worried about the move as some make it out to be. Now, it may turn out to be – it may be harder to keep Jawan Sider in the future because he's tight ends coach and not uh, running backs coach, and we'll kind of see if he gets another role. He was recruiting coordinator as well under Jim McElwain, and we'll kind of see uh, maybe where that falls. Uh, but as of right now and for 2018, it's not a big worry for me. No, I love this move, actually, and I love it for, I love it for Mullen. I love it for Sider. Um you know, what is Jawan Sider's goal as a coach? It seems like his goal should be to become an offensive coordinator who then becomes a head coach. Like that is sort of the progression, right? That you'd start out as a running back, running back coach. And if all you ever do is, is you're running back coach and you're known as a great recruiter, does that get you to a point where you can become an offensive coordinator? And I don't know if that's true. So you get the experience with the running backs, you get the experience with the tight ends, and now you're ready when someone comes and says, how can you be an offensive coordinator? You're like, look, I've, I've, I've had this experience in two different places. I've been able to manage these things. I have this knowledge because of it. I can, I can manage offensive linemen because I've taught tight ends how to block. I can manage the backfield because I've done that as well. You know, I think in any case, if you make a coach more well-rounded, you're helping him achieve his career goals. So as far as actually maintaining Snyder, I think it's probably a good thing to move him to that position because he's going to get experience that he hasn't had before as opposed to just getting pigeonholed as a great recruiter who's a running backs coach. Um, you know, the only thing I'd complain about is that they don't have a special teams coordinator right <laughs> now. And special teams has been so bad that that I just think that's something that they need someone who's directly responsible for. If for no other reasons that we can yell at them when the special teams aren't any good, <laughs> like we have the last couple of years, but you know, that would be my complaint. That's the place that I would, that I would say, Hey, uh, let's have somebody directly responsible for that. But you know, again, Career progressions, I think, are important. I think having ladders are important in, in any sort of organization. You know, if my if the place I worked for didn't have any areas for me to grow, I wouldn't be interested in working there because I've got career goals. And I think within Sider's profile, that probably fits there as well. So I'd be worried if they made him linebackers coach because <laughs> then it's not really because then it's not really a progression that would help him in terms of the goal of what he's going to do. But I mean, his goal has to be two or three years from now to be the offensive coordinator, whether it's at Florida or whether it's at a different school. And to be honest, if Jawan Sider's getting hired as an offensive coordinator at another Power Five school, awesome because Florida's offense is humming. If he's yeah. getting that kind of position, and so you know, hey, let's help that guy achieve his goals. Let's let's differentiate his experience. Let's give him extra experience and give him give him something different because he's already proven he's a pretty good running back running back coach. So you know, there you go. That's where I was going to go. Else, what else does he have to prove? I mean, really, yeah. then you're just in an arms race from a money perspective. If somebody else comes in, yeah, and, and hopefully he improves the tight end position as much as he improved the running back position. I think that's you know something we could look for. Uh, yes, I know. I mean, he he played quarterback. You know, he he wasn't a running back you know, when he played football. He was a quarterback, so uh, he was able to shift over, make your running back position better. Uh, hopefully, he can do the same for tight ends. So you know, we'll see what happens. Also, with the rest of the staff, this tenth hire still has to be made. Uh, a lot of talk that it may be another secondary coach, and they'll split you know safeties and cornerbacks up uh, with Special the coach. Team. 
But I was about to say, it could be your special teams coach. So, you know, we'll kind of see uh, what happens there. Ron English's name is hot out there, former Michigan defensive coordinator uh, under uh, Hoke uh, there. So, you know, his name's been brought up uh, a lot. Uh, but, you know, it's uh, his name's been brought up a lot and still nothing has come out yet. So we'll kind of see uh, where that goes uh, for the 10th hire uh, that's now being allowed, uh, 10th staff member that's now being allowed uh, in college football. So we'll – uh, I think we killed another show. This, this one was nice. Uh, what you got coming up uh, on Reading Reaction this week? Yeah, so I'm going to be looking into Grantham a little bit this week, I think, and and probably on Saturday night or Sunday morning, release something looking at looking at what he's done historically, what what you know whether defenses have improved or or not improved under him, and what Florida fans can expect moving forward with the defense, especially with some of the talent that's coming back. That'll probably be the next article or two coming out on Reader Reaction, and uh, and uh, I just want to you know I want to talk a little bit about karma, Dave. Can we talk about karma? What what what's the karma? Oh, so a couple a couple of months ago when Georgia beat Florida, um, you know, some of our fans might have heard the Georgia fight song going on in the background, and uh, and uh, one of Bill's friends, Bulldog uh, Bulldog Ben, was was playing the uh, was playing the fight song on Gators Breakdown. This is what you get when you taunt the Gators. You get you just get absolutely punched in the stomach in the national championship game. I want to talk karma, man. That, that's uh, so shout out to Bulldog Ben. We we appreciate the humor. It's certainly good to go back and forth, but. Uh, but uh, don't 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 taunt us on Gator Breakdown. We'll put a hex on you, man. Yeah, I remember that. I was like, man, is there any way I can mute this mic when I hear that? But uh, you know, <laughs> there's nothing I can really do. So, guys, if you remember that and you can vaguely hear the Georgia fight song in the background, that was not that was not us. Believe me, that that was not us. It was uh, it was Bill's friend uh, rubbing it in our face after uh, Georgia smashed Florida. Hey, and Jim McElwain got fired the next day. So. Um, <laughs> So that was that week. That weekend was a positive. Anyway. Everybody got something nice. Well. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> that, that, that was kind of funny there. I, t- I turned it full circle to where we were actually happy that weekend. <laughs> hey, you know, we 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 can finally have some nice things. So uh, yeah. so hopefully that's what we'll see in 2018. Absolutely. So yeah, of course, recruiting. About to get set on fire again. Uh, look for it uh, to be ramped up, as we mentioned. You know, these there are not a lot of as many prospects right now. Uh, so these coaches are going to be going crazy on these recruits and uh, recruits out there. Uh, have your cell phone charged and or or not have it charged if you're getting tired of it. So <laughs> uh, remember, you can find all your Gators breakdown episodes on SoundCloud, iTunes, and YouTube, Google Play as well. Uh, just recently, you can find it there um, and follow the show on Twitter and on Facebook. Uh, speaking of Twitter, you can find Will on Twitter at Will Miles SEC. Hey, Will, thanks for joining me again, man. No, thanks for having me on, Dave. Always fun. Always, always for sure. Uh, remember, you can find our other co-host, Bill Sykes, on Twitter as well at Real B Sykes. I'm your host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening.